Paul's second letters of Corinthians, chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, um, let's pray together using some of those words that um, have just been read to us. We're going to pray by saying thank you, saying sorry, and uh, saying please. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight wanting to declare this great truth we've had read in that passage, that you are a God who has declared, let light shine out of darkness, and you've made your light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
Loving Father, we thank you that in your grace and your mercy for so many here, you have opened our eyes to see the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in a moment of quiet, why don't you, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, just thank God for a person or the people who have been influential in first speaking the gospel to you. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who loves. We praise you that you're a God who loves the unlovable, that you don't love us more when we love you. You don't love us more when we're obedient to you, but you love us because love is who you are and is what you do. And we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in opening our eyes to understand who the Lord Jesus is and what he has done for us individually. And we thank you and praise you for that tonight. We also read in this, uh, these verses, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and ask for your forgiveness when it doesn't bother us as it should, when people turn their backs on you. Please forgive us for the many times that we continue to turn our backs on you. And we don't listen carefully to your voice when our lives so quickly become about us and not about serving you. We ask for your forgiveness when our hearts don't ache for those who don't have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus, who are missing out on all that it means to know you as Lord and Saviour. And we ask for your forgiveness when in our witness we make it too often about us and our own ability to persuade people our own eloquence, our own understanding. Thank you that this passage teaches us that it's your power that unlocks hard hearts and opens blind eyes. And for those who are here who are trusting in you, it was your power that first opened our blind eyes and unlocked our hard hearts. And finally, Father, we think of these wonderful words where the Apostle Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, as we prepare for the week ahead, please would you lift our eyes from our own worlds, our own agendas, our own desires. And help us increasingly to march, as it were, to the beat of a different drummer. Pray on Monday morning, Father, that you would remind us to wake and to commit our ways to you that you'd lift our eyes from our own troubles and our own concerns and you would help us in the week ahead to love you and to love those around us. Please would you teach us ever more what it looks like to be your people in your church that doesn't live for this world, but lives in this world for the world to come. Please help us in our priorities and in the way that we use our time and the way we relate to other people. And how we decide to use the money that you have given us. Help us, Father, to be investing in eternity. We pray for Neil as he comes to help us understand this wonderful passage in more depth. And as we think about what that looks like and how it applies to us as a church. Please give us the mind of Christ and give us your spirit that would help us understand these amazing words. And please would you send us out from here tonight with greater confidence to speak to lost people of you, and to share the greatest love in the world. Amen. Thanks very much, Mark, for your prayers.
Well, so far in this um, very practical series of uh, disciples making disciples, we've looked at um, three questions. What is a disciple? Why make disciples? And who makes disciples? And the picture we've used from the book, uh, The Vine Project, to sum this up is the one just about to appear on the screen now. Uh, It demonstrates that uh, a disciple is someone who's been rescued from the domain of darkness and has been brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he or she, as a learner, is continuing to be transformed into the likeness of Christ until he comes again. And our goal is to, to look forward to the day when we will be gathered around the throne of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We're all of God's people, some of whom we may have helped to be there. And what this picture also shows is that the process of bringing us from where we are now to the point where we come into the presence of Jesus consists of uh, a number of steps. We don't become a fully mature disciple overnight. It's a lifetime's work. We may be converted, brought from darkness into light by a dramatic conversion. But for most people, that is also a process of, um, uh, of having your heart softened and starting to, to seek God in his word. And that may help us as we consider this question this evening of how do we make disciples? Because if we accept that we each have a responsibility, uh, then it'll be useful to know what exactly are we expected to do. And the thing we need to remember first and foremost is that it is God's work. God achieves his work through the word and through the spirit. If we uh, go back to that passage from 1 Thessalonians we looked at the first week, we we read there in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. The gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ came with words. They needed to know what the message was. They needed to know how they could be saved. But it also came with the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who used those words to transform lives. And we saw in our recent series in Acts how time after time the disciples proclaimed the word, And the Spirit used the word to convert lives. Well, in our passage from 2 Corinthians 4 this evening, we read, as I read at the beginning of this service, in verse 6, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The only reason we have been saved, if we've been saved here this evening, is that God has enabled us to see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. The work of conversion is his. But as we considered last week, we each have a role to play in that. And I asked last week, how does that make you feel that you have a responsibility in this? And one of the answers that came back was, inadequate, but blessed. Inadequate because we recognize our own failings, our weaknesses, but blessed because we acknowledge the privilege of being used by God in this way. We also looked last week at what makes a a good disciple maker. And we came up with four things. um, The right objective, building others up. The right attitude, humility. 
the right motivation, love, and the right tools, the truth. If we have these things in place, then we don't need to be anxious, we don't need to despair. We'll touch on, on the attitude again a bit more this evening, but the main thing we're going to focus on this evening is the tools. What are the tools we need to use to make disciples? And our role is to proclaim the word and to pray for the Spirit to do his work. So if we look at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, what what does it say there? Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And on into verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's perfectly right to feel our inadequacy, to acknowledge that we are just jars of clay. And it's actually, in many ways, a great relief to, to know that. It means we don't need to worry about coming up with a, a convincing message that is, is entertaining, that is persuasive, doesn't matter how we come across. All we're called to do is to set forth the truth plainly. Of course, we want to ensure we communicate it in an engaging way and help people see its relevance. We don't want to make the word of God boring. Um, but it's God who will bring fruit from our ministry. If it was all about us, then that would not serve to glorify God. He chooses to use us with all of our weaknesses to show that it is his power at work that converts people and not ours. And we'll only lose heart if we think it's down to us, if we think we have failed. If we present the word of God plainly, then we won't have failed. We will have been faithful. Our problem is if we fail to present the word. Now, there are many ways and situations in which the word of God can be spoken. It's uh, maybe when we preach the gospel to ourselves as we spend time uh, on our own, reading the Bible, having our, our quiet time, praying about God's word. Maybe when we meet with one or two other people, whether formally or, or informally. When we gather in small groups, like, like home groups. Or whether when we gather in a larger group, like we are this evening to hear the word of God taught and explained, and as we respond in repentance and faith. Now, not all of those actually require the Bible itself to be open. When we teach a certain truth, uh, when we preach a certain promise, when we urge a, a certain way of living or encourage on the basis of God's faithfulness, we're speaking the word of God that he has spoken in his word. And what gives the word power is the Holy Spirit. He is there at every point in the making of his disciples by his spirit. And that means that that our work is not limited to proclaiming the message. Both before and after, we are praying that the Spirit would use our words to change lives. And the more we believe in that principle of word and spirit coming together, the more we will depend on prayer for God to give the growth. And even when someone comes to faith, it doesn't stop there, does it? In Paul's letters, we've seen him thanking God for the faith the hope, the love that he sees in God's people. 
We see him keep praying to God for an increase in their, their spiritual understanding, in their maturity, in their faithfulness. What is the message we should be proclaiming? Well, it's the gospel of grace. In a nutshell, it's the salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That obviously needs a lot of unpacking. Um, what is salvation? Why, why do we need it? What is faith? Who is Jesus? What did he do? And we don't get in, need to get into that whole explanation every time we, we share the gospel with somebody. Sometimes it's just planting little bits of truth here and there. The gospel is also they're not just something for, for those who are not yet Christians. It's not like we, we don't need to hear that anymore once we are a Christian. The gospel of grace is fundamental to how we live out our Christian lives. And we do forget it time after time, don't we? I'm going to a, a day conference on Tuesday, which is for, for pastors uh, and church workers. And it is about um, how our identity in Christ affects our ministry. It's easy even for pastors to be driven by other things than our identity in Jesus Christ. But we'll come back to discipling Christians uh, next week, because this week I'd like to focus uh, on proclaiming the word to those who are not yet believers. We've said that the the goal of disciple-making is to, to seek to help each person move one step to the right, to come closer towards hearing the gospel, and being transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then to press on towards maturity. At one level, people are either in darkness or light. But if they are in darkness, they, they may be in a wide variety of places. I mean, let me just ask you now, what are the, the typical places that people may be in spiritually if they're not yet um, believers in Jesus Christ? What may be their their attitude towards Christianity. Let's throw just a few things out which may be holding people back from coming to Christ. Just chuck a few people, a few, few out. Apathy. apathy. Yeah, apathy, just not interested. Um, got too many other things going on. Can't even have time to really think about it. Yeah, apathy. Pride. Pride. Yeah, I don't, I don't need Jesus Christ. I'm pretty okay as I am. Thank you very much. I've got all I need. Yeah. Intellectualism, yeah, um, I just don't believe God exists. Um, yeah, I, I, I know more about the world than, than God does. Sorry, Darren, you go say. Idols, yeah, uh, too interested in the things of this world. Um, uh, that I don't, actually, God's not really relevant. Um, these things are much more interesting, fulfilling than, than God. Yeah. yeah, just the, God is not attractive. If uh, these Christians um, are the ones who are uh, living their lives because they believe in God, then actually that's not a lifestyle that I really want to follow. God is just not attractive. Hurts or problems? Hurts or problems? Um, yeah, maybe God is not a caring God. You know, if he allows me to suffer, he allows other people to, to suffer in that way, why would I want to, to believe in him? Yeah, yeah, I don't want to sacrifice anything. Thank you very much. Um, if that's what believing in God means. Too busy. Too busy. Yeah, yeah. Again, just don't have time for Christ. Yeah. I've put um, different responses to God here. I've categorized them in sort of two broad categories. One is a sort of almost a closed category um, coming up here from things, some of them, these we've mentioned. Um, he doesn't exist. Um, maybe an atheist, 
maybe just the intellectual problems we talked about. Um, we've got, um, uh, he's not true, maybe a follower of another religion. Um, God is not true. He's not relevant, um, too interested in the things of this world. He doesn't care, this suffering issue. And he's not attractive, the hypocritical thing. I'm just offended by, by Christians. So a lot of those almost just mean people are not, not in a place to actually even want to talk about Christianity. But are those are maybe on the other side who are a bit more open. Um, and there are those who just never really thought about it, actually. Haven't really given it any thought. So if you want to talk to me about it, great. Um, there are those who may be backslidden Christians. Things have just taken them away from Christ. Maybe they used to come to church, but other things have come up. Um, but there's still an openness there. Just don't feel good enough. Actually, God's never going to love me anyway. So, um, yeah, probably not for me. Actually, I'm open to explore. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in anything. You know, tell me about Christianity. I'm great to have a conversation about it. And actually, spiritually inquisitive, somebody who's actually really seeking God. So there's a whole broad spectrum, aren't there, of people where they are in relation. If they're in darkness, it doesn't mean they're in one place. There's a whole different variety of places they may be in. Now, there are obviously a lot of conversations you can have with people depending where they're at. We're not sort of looking at evangelism as such this evening. What I'd like to do is focus on reading the Bible with somebody who's not a Christian. So let's just assume we've, we've invited them um, to read the Bible with us. Let's look at some of the things that are involved in reading the Bible one-to-one with somebody who's not a believer. And first of all, what actually are the advantages of doing that on a one-to-one basis with a somebody who's not a Christian? Other than, for example, bringing them to um, church, maybe inviting them to an evangelistic event, um, asking them to join a course or something. What is the advantage of sitting down with them and just reading the Bible on a one-to-one basis? Is there an advantage? Dialogue. Dialogue. Yeah, there's this, this conversation going on, isn't there? It's not you're just sort of telling them, um, you're hearing from them. There's a response coming back. Um, yeah. You've only got one person to deal with. Uh, you're not being distracted by other things. You're focusing on their particular questions and issues. Yeah. It's the living word. You're actually getting into the Bible. And it's the Bible that changes people's lives, not our sort of um, stories and stuff. Um, it's, it's into God's word. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you invite somebody to a group and actually they don't want to show their ignorance in front of another load of people. So they're in a safe place, they know you, um, um, so it's less threatening, yeah. Yeah, greater accountability, um, yeah, yeah. There's a few things coming up here, I think you mentioned most of these, a sort of understanding, you can check whether somebody's actually really understood what you've said because they can just ask you. Um, be more specific to their situation. There's that relationship, you're understanding them, their life. Um, flexible. You can meet, you know, whatever suits them, however long, um, different times. It's safe, it's less threatening. I think that's probably, probably the lot. But of course, everybody's different, so each Bible study will uh, have its own, own format. Some people actually may not like one-to-one, let's be, let's be honest. Some people actually may prefer more of a group setting or just coming to church. But for a lot of people, there are great advantages. So what, if that, if those are a lot of advantages, what actually stops us as those who are Christians sitting down and reading the Bible with those who are not? What, what stops us doing that? 
Afraid to ask, yeah, we just don't know what they may say. Yeah, afraid to ask. Yeah, yeah, we might look a bit stupid if they ask us something which we don't really know the answer to. It's that sense of fear, isn't there? Yeah. Here's a few coming up. Um, I might offend, actually. I've got this good friendship with somebody. If I actually push my faith on them, they might be offended. I don't want to risk our, our relationship. They just won't be interested. And um, that's going to be embarrassing, isn't it, if I ask them to read the Bible and they say, no, nah, mate, not for me. I don't know how to do it. No, it's just too complicated. Um, not sure how to do it. Just a natural fear of rejection. Um, it just feels a bit awkward, doesn't it? Um, you know, for a lot of people, the Bible is just something completely bizarre for them. So it just feels a bit awkward to actually read the Bible. So there are all reasons that, that, that may stop us. So let, let's come on to, first of all, what is the right attitude we need, we need to read the Bible with somebody? We looked at some of this last week, but it would be good to go over some of those things as well. Uh, first of all, we need to love the person. And that means having their best interests at heart. They're not a project. We're not trying to somehow score points. We want just to see God blessing them. Um, and that means we need to be ready to listen before we talk. We need to have patience if they're quite slow to, to respond. We need to avoid appearing shocked if they say something totally outrageous. We need to be concerned for their whole person. Uh, that may also mean giving practical time to, to help them for their other needs outside the time of reading the Bible. So just getting involved in their lives. Secondly, be humble and sympathetic. You know, we're all, as we said uh, quite a few times in this series, we're all learners as disciples. Um, we should expect to learn from those we study with, as well as help them to learn. We're jars of clay, as we've read here in this passage, so we shouldn't be surprised when we make mistakes, when we don't know the answers. And remember that the only reason that we are disciples is because God has opened our eyes. If they can't yet see, then it's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes and prevented them from seeing. So be ready to to share your own doubts, your own journey to faith, and show your humility. Thirdly, be wary of the devil, but at the same time confident in God and his word. It is a spiritual battle. We read there, didn't we? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The devil doesn't like it when we open God's word. He will try and stop us doing it. But that is where the power is. That is where the power comes through the spirit working through the word. So don't think if you've got some clever arguments, that's what's going to change somebody. Be wary of the devil, but be confident in God's Holy Spirit. It's God who made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God knows your friend, he loves your friend more than you do. So the power of God's truth, the wisdom of his timing, the light of his Holy Spirit are all on your side. Let him do his work. And finally, that means be prayerful. Pray that God would have mercy on your friend 
pray that he would open their eyes to see the truth. And be thankful when you see progress and don't give up praying. The right attitude, but what is the aim for each study? Obviously, our greater aim is to use the Bible to help a friend come to know Jesus and then to help them grow in their knowledge of him. But it's good to have more specific aims every time you meet with someone. And these are some some aims that uh, we might like to have. First of all, they would understand the passage. Seems obvious, but you know that's uh, a bigger challenge than maybe we think. They would understand the passage and know more about the good news of Jesus. Secondly, that they would leave at least with one truth to remember, or one issue to think about. They could just take away and think about. Thirdly, they would leave actually quite excited about the Bible. Actually, I didn't realize that that was in there. I'd like to maybe read this on my own. I'd like to find out more. It's not maybe as difficult as they thought. And uh, finally, that um, they would see actually it's more than an intellectual exercise. This is a spiritual exercise that uh, they're going through. Well, what about how, how do we get started? So coming on to the practical stuff, how do we actually get started? And the first question is an obvious one. It's actually who do you read the Bible with? Um, who are the people God has put in your life? Because he's put them in your life for a reason. Who have you got to know quite well? Who are you getting to know well? You want to be relaxed in somebody's company. They want to be able to trust you. Um, so you can talk openly about what you believe or you feel. And that means spending time with them outside reading the Bible. It means understanding where they're, they're coming from. It means sharing your life with them. It means um, doing it with somebody of the same sex because reading the Bible can be quite an, uh, an intimate experience. You're getting into real issues of life. You're sharing your life with somebody. So to do it with somebody of the, the opposite sex can be, can be dangerous. But pray that God would lead you to someone in whom he's already working. Pray that God would show you that person so that when the invitation comes, it is quite a natural thing. Um, and then just ask them, are you interested in reading the Bible with me? It's just a very simple, simple question. When? Um, how long? Um, be good to do it regularly, maybe once a week. Um, ideally, the same time each week so you get into a pattern of doing it. Um, you don't want to do it for too long. Um, you want to spend a bit of the time, obviously, chatting, having a good time with one another, but keep the formal part of the study to, you know, to maximum an hour. You don't want them to, to get, you know, fed up with it. Um, you want to leave them wanting more rather than having had too much. Um, and do it for a limited period of time. Don't give them the impression that this is going to go on forever. Say, so let's just read the Bible for six weeks, maybe eight weeks. Um, hopefully they'll just want to keep on reading, but um, don't let them feel that it's going to go on forever. Where to meet? Um, Somewhere, basically, that is comfortable. Could be your own home, could be their home. Um, could be in a cafe, could be in a pub. Um, could be at work, if that's convenient and, uh, and they don't mind. Um, wherever you can be quiet enough not to be distracted. What to study? Uh, where do you start? What resources do you use? Well, it depends who you're reading with. Uh, with people who've not really read the Bible before, it's good to start probably with a gospel. Um, maybe just looking at different encounters with Jesus. Um, there's a few resources coming up here on the screen which um, are helpful. We're going to look at one of these in a minute. Uh, this one here is an Uncover. It's called Uncover, looking at um, 
uh, Luke's Gospel. It's been very popular among students and universities, uh, looking at different um, uh, passages from, from Luke's Gospel. There's um, the one-to-one series of uh, Andrew Korn, and then there's the Word one-to-one, uh, which I know some of you here have used. Now, next week, we'll look at producing a more in-depth Bible study with those who, who are Christians. But if you're reading the Bible one-to-one with somebody who's not a Christian, who's not much knowledge of the Bible, this one is actually a very helpful one to use. I think that's a good point so to close. It'd be good just to pray. I think um, we have uh, overrun a bit. So let me pray to close our service and pray on that particular note that God would give us the, uh, the courage to do so. Let's, let's, let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for all that we've um, learnt this evening. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Lord, we we acknowledge our our weaknesses, our fears, our worries. But at the same time, we do pray you'd give us a real passion to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who don't yet know him. Lord, we long to see people share that that joy that we have, the peace that we know. And so, Lord, give us the courage to to take that step. Give us the sensitivity to know in whose hearts you're already working. That as we speak to them, you will um, prompt a positive response to our invitation. And Lord, help us to see you, your power at work as we open up your word. And as people ask questions, help us to see the change in their lives as your spirit does his work. Lord, give us greater confidence in, in you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.